So uh, I'm beginning a new series today, uh, which means we're all beginning a new series today. Um, and uh, as you may have seen to your dismay, it's on stewardship. Um, I never, I never pre-announce uh, what what my uh, when, when I'm going to be preaching on stewardship because if I did, that would give you one more reason to miss them. So I kind of, uh, I kind of uh, throw them at you when you're least expecting it. And um, uh, today, today um, I, I'm doing the same, and and it's probably particularly cruel to do it today because this is the one day in the whole year when you have the least excuse for missing church because you're able to sleep in and go to church both. So, um, so it's kind of cruel. But I want you to know it's going to be a short series. We're going to talk about um, for, uh, about stewardship for just three weeks. Um, mostly my sermon series are, are five and six weeks. But we're just going to do three weeks. And uh, this week, um, we're not even going to do what, what preachers always do when they talk about stewardship. You know, if you've been going to church for any time at all, you know stewardship is a church code, which means you need to give money to the church. right? That's the code that, that preachers use. They say stewardship. But what they really mean is... We want you to give money to the church. And so this week, we're not going to do that. This week, we're going to talk about uh, a generosity and not talk about giving money to the church at all. We're not going to talk one word about giving to the church. And um, and uh, we'll do that the next two weeks. And what we'll see the next two weeks is there are actually circumstances and churches where you should not give any money at all to the church. So we'll be doing that the next two weeks. But today, we're going to talk about something you can do. You can do at least if you're in this country. Because, because uh, you, you have um, the resources in this country to be generous. Um, and I know you're thinking, like I'm thinking, well, no, actually I don't because you haven't seen my bank book. But, but the reality is everybody in this country is in the top 4 or 5% of the world. So uh, by the world standards, we're all very wealthy. And so that means we have the capability. We have, it, we have the resources that we need in order to be generous. So uh, what we're going to talk about today is generosity and the idea of generosity as a piece of the overall picture of stewardship. Now, I said before, stewardship is this, is this church lingo for give money to the church. Um, and it's not really. Stewardship is, is a different idea. Stewardship is the idea that everything you have is God's. And uh, your job is to manage it for God. And that means money, of course, all, all the money you've got. But it also means... Um, all of your possessions, it means your house and your car, um, belong to God, and you are a manager of those resources on behalf of God. Um, it means, it means the, 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 the cabin or the, the iPhone 6. Everything you own is owned by God, and you are the manager of that, God, uh, of that resource. But not only tangible things like our, like our money or our 401k or, or um, our house or our car, but intangible things. We are also managers of things like our ideas. I mean, our ideas come from God, right? That's, that's where they come from. And so they are owned by God, and we are the managers of our ideas. Our influence, the, the circle of people that we have influence over, that's something that God has put us in charge of as a manager, so, so stewardship is this big idea that everything we have is something that God has entrusted to us, whether it's tangible or intangible, whether it's, whether it's uh, 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 connections that we have. You know, in the old days, we had a Rolodex, and, and we could leverage our Rolodex. Today, we have our address book in our phone or whatever. But all of those things, tangible and intangible, are things that God has put in our hands so that we can manage them. 
And that's kind of the good news because, because God's given them to you. But the bad news is there's going to be an audit. And we're going to be responsible to give an accounting for how we, how we leverage the things God gave us. And we don't know when the audit's going to be. And if you're like a lot of people, um, if you're like most people, I would say, uh, what that tends to do is that tends to build a paralysis. It, it makes you say, well, if I don't know, I better, I better play it safe. I better not do anything with it. And um, that is exactly the opposite of what the scriptures teach us about our responsibility as stewards. So what we see in the scriptures is, is, a, different, is a different picture. In fact, the parable we heard today, Jesus gives precisely because people thought that the kingdom was coming immediately. And so he says, no, a, a king was going to go away for a while, and he gave, he gave ten of his servants a pound each, and then they were to do things with them while he was away. So he says, I know you're thinking this could happen tomorrow, but he says, actually, um, even though you don't know when the king's going to come back, this is the way you should behave. And of course, what we see in the, in the parable is everyone is rewarded. Some of them do better, some of them do less. But one of them says, I, basically, you're a, you're a bad master, so I just put your, your um, pound in a, in a piece of cloth. So he says, um, the one who played it safe, the one who didn't know when the master was returning and decided to play it safe, he's the one who has his, his pound taken away from him. So the parable tells us that playing it safe is wrong, which is, which is great, except now the question is, okay, well, what should we do? You know, it says one guy got, uh, one guy made ten pounds, one guy made five pounds. How do we how do we figure out how to be one of those people? Everybody can figure out how to be the guy who wraps it in cloth. It tells us how to do that. But how do you do the other thing? How do you be a good steward of all the things that God has given us? And I think we can we can see light that or light is shed on that question um, in this passage we're going to look at now from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. So. Um, if you if you'd open up your scriptures, if you've got them, uh, take a look at. Uh, we're going to look at uh, chapter three of Ephesians, and uh, what's interesting about this is there's not a word in here about money or possessions. There's not a word in here about tithing or giving to the church. It's a passage that talks about God and God, uh, God as the source of of good things, and it doesn't have anything at all to do with with tithing or the things we sometimes fear when we hear about a. Uh, a sermon on uh, stewardship. So let's go ahead and take a look at this passage. Uh, Paul says, "For this reason, I bow." <clears throat> pardon me. Paul says, "For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father." Now, this reason you have to go back and look at the past two chapters to figure out what the reason is. But but Paul's pretty impressed with it. In fact, he says it kind of makes him fall to his knees when he when he stops to consider it. It's a it's an amazing thing that has taken him two chapters to kind of. Uh, summarize, and so when he gets his head wrapped around um, this reason, it makes him fall to his knees. And who he falls to his knees before is the Father, uh, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Uh, this this uh, seems like just kind of flowery language for God, but it's worth pausing for a second. What Paul is saying here is that is that the one true Father in the universe is God the Father. And that, and that uh, Paul is writing to a Greek audience. They would have been comfortable with an idea 
that, that God is like, like the, the master template, um, the, the true father up in heaven. And every fatherly relationship on earth is a copy. Some of them are good copies. Some of them are really lousy copies. But this idea that, that the ultimate fatherhood is in heaven and that every, every father we see on earth is, is a more or less accurate uh, a copy of that. And that's really the way the Greeks thought about things. And so Paul's writing to a Greek culture, people in Ephesus. So he, he uses that language. But as, as we'll see, it's, it's also, uh, it also works with what would be more typical of a Hebrew mindset, a Middle Eastern mindset, that God is not a template that you make a copy of, but God is a, a well or a source from which flows fatherhood. And some have a lot of fatherhood flow through them, and some have very little fatherhood through them. But we'll see uh, throughout this prayer that Paul prays, he's using language of, of a wellspring or a source that flows out and into, into the world. So, so um, Paul is saying that God's fatherhood is an example of something that flows out of God, and uh, it flows into every family in heaven and on earth. And then he begins his prayer. Now, this whole next, the rest of the paragraph, verses 16 through uh, 19, is all one sentence in Greek, so be glad we don't have to read Greek. They've, they've broken it down for us. But what, what he says is, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he, God, may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. So he's saying God has, has these riches, the, the riches of his glory. We talked about glory a couple of weeks ago. Glory is the, is the thing that, that is most impressive about God. So God is rich in it. He's not going to run out of it. He can spare some for you. And so he says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Now, rooted and grounded in love is, is another example of that kind of flowing language. Uh, the, the idea here is that if you put a tree close to a source of water, if you ground it in one place where its roots can find water, then it's in good shape. It'll become a good, strong tree. If you put it too far from the water source, if you ground it in the wrong place, then it won't have, its roots won't be able to find the water. So he's saying, uh, as God roots us and grounds us in love, as God puts us in the right place, we'll be able to be strengthened. And, and uh, the image here is, is very typically used in um, uh, the, the Bible because it was an agricultural uh, world. Um, the very beginning, the first psalm, psalm, psalm 1, if you get to verse 3, if you make it through verse 3 of Psalm 1, there's an image there. Uh, can, we, can we see the slide with the, um, the verse from Psalm 1? So he says, they are, this is from the Psalms, they are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. Paul is saying to the Ephesians that as we're rooted and grounded in love, that instead of having having water flow through us, we'll actually be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. He's saying something much better than water can come to us as we're rooted and grounded in love. So the image here, there's a picture. Um, uh, this is uh, where I was uh, a week ago, uh, two weeks ago. I was in uh, southern New Mexico. This is the La Luz Canyon uh, near Alamogordo. And uh, you can't really see it very well, but uh, the next picture shows down at the bottom what happens. Uh, there's water at the bottom of this canyon. La Luz Creek r- runs through this canyon, 
And where there's water, there's trees. Where there's not, there's cactus. So you see up on the sides of the, the cliffs, there's uh, uh, the canyon is, is cacti. So that's the image. As we are, as we're rooted and grounded in love, love can flow into us, strengthen us, and then flow out of us. So Paul then, then continues, he says, that, that, that he prays that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now that sounds like some kind of Middle Eastern riddle, know what it surpasses knowledge. But remember, in the Bible, whenever you see the word Bible, it doesn't mean head knowledge. It means relational knowledge. It means experiential knowledge. You may, you may come to know by experience. You may have the experience of knowing something. So he says that you would actually taste, you would experience the love of Christ. And it is immeasurable. It has these dimensions, the breadth and depth and height and length that are, that are immeasurable. So you're like a, you're like a tree that's, that's tapped into water, but the water source is, is beyond any way to measure. So that's the image. And he says to know the love of Christ, to experience the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that all of that can flow through you. And he says, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So again, one more, one more stab Paul makes at kind of trying to get his head around this idea of God's inexhaustible goodness that, that you can, you can do, uh, you, you, that God can do in us far more than we, abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. That, that God's not going to run out of goodness. That God is this, uh, un, un, uh, it's a reservoir that won't run dry. It's, it's a source that cannot, that cannot tap out. So, so that's the language Paul uses. And to, to bring this back to the subject of stewardship, what does this have to do with stewardship? The, the question for us is, is how can we be good stewards? And what we see here is that God is not concerned about losing a little. God's got more than can be measured. God's got more love and grace and mercy than can be measured. That's not what it means to be a good steward. To be a good steward is to do with what you have what the owner would do if the owner was doing it. And so this passage gives us a very good idea of what the owner does. What is God characteristically doing all through this passage? God is overflowing, flowing out grace and mercy and love, power to strengthen. That is what God does. And so to be a good steward is to act the same way, to do with our resources what God does with God's resources, which is to give them out abundantly. So Paul says that his prayer is that we would experience this, that we, can't, we cannot, we cannot uh, begin to appreciate this, um, uh, how, how big it is, but we can, we can at least experience some of it by actually acting in the same way, by treating what God has as this uh, unplumbable resource, that there's no way of getting to the bottom of it. Uh, God's, God's goodness is this reservoir with no, no bottom. So by acting in that way, we can experience it as well. Now, uh, I've been preaching long enough to know whenever you talk about money, and particularly when you talk about God's uh, inexhaustible resources, um, you've got to put out some shark repellent because there are people who go around preaching a, a prosperity gospel, and they say, God wants you to be rich. 
and that's not the gospel. That's a, that's a lie. Um, it's a demonic lie. It's a terrible lie, and they're on TV all the time. So don't listen to them. What God wants is for you to appreciate His riches, for you to experience His riches. He doesn't want you to be rich. Um, he wants you to experience His richness, His riches. So that's the true gospel. And and uh, I know I know if you're like me, the, the 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 pushback is well, I'll believe it when I have a little bit more accumulated in my own personal reservoir. I can be generous once I get a little more, and that is of course saying I will trust God as soon as I don't need to trust God. And and the scriptures obviously don't give us any support for that notion. But there's another picture that maybe is helpful as you think about this. Uh, um, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a way of guarding against the prosperity gospel notion too. Um, there's a passage in scripture that talks about how the, the people of God, they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, they've been off in the wilderness, and they're ready to cross into the promised land. And God has said, I'll be with you, and there's only one problem, they've got to get across the Jordan River. There wasn't a bridge, they've got to get through the Jordan River. How are they going to do it? Well, the answer is God has promised that he will open a path for them through the Jordan River. So the passage of Scripture tells us uh, in Joshua, can we see this slide? It says, When the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the water stood still. Not a few minutes before, not a week before, but as the feet got wet, the water stood still. They rose up in a single heap, and then the people crossed over. This is the way God works. The way that God will enable you with His generosity, the way that God will flow through you is the same way as you give away the things you've got and not just money but time possessions as you leverage them to bring wholeness and health and mercy to the world around you as you act the same way God would in your circumstances as you leverage the things you've got the tangible things and the intangible things as you leverage your connections your resources as you leverage your influence over other people. God will replenish it, but not before. If you build something up, that's your own. But if you want to use God's, you don't have to build it up first. You just have to start using it. So the scriptures tell us that's how we, that's how we act as good stewards, not by being like the, the bad steward who is afraid of losing everything, but by using it, by flowing, letting it flow out of us to fill up other people around us. That's, to, that's what it means to be a good steward. And that means all of us can be generous. Now, does it mean you should be generous to the church? We'll talk about that next week. I think there's good reasons you can. But you know what? If you can't, if you're tired of churches where pastors come up and they start talking about how you need to give money to the church, you need to tithe, then don't. Don't give anything to the church. There's plenty of other places you can be generous. We have a couple right here in our congregation. We're doing a fundraiser in two weeks, um, they are experiencing the, the, the agony of a cancer diagnosis that has, they've been struggling with for a year. And we can't help them with that. None of us are oncologists. But we can help them with the medical expenses. We can help them with the things that are associated with that. So be generous with your time as well as your money. Help out that way. You can be generous that way and not help the church a bit. You can be generous... In two weeks, we're going to do the, the, the thanks, three weeks, we're going to do Thanksgiving blessing. Um, bring in some cranberry. 
Go help direct traffic in the parking lot. There's ways you can be generous without ever giving a dime to the church. Save the whales. Contribute to a political campaign. God knows they're spending it. Do what you would with the resources God has put in your possession as if they were an an untapped reservoir of goodness that you could begin flowing out through you to bless the world around you. Imagine what it would be like if the church, if Christians around the world, if Christians here in our community acted this way, if we were generous as our default position, we assume that God's going to fill us back up with whatever we give out of our love. Imagine what people would think about the church. Imagine what people think about God if Christians acted that way, if we acted as truly good stewards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you are immeasurable. Your goodness knows no limits, and out of your immeasurable riches of your glory, that we can at least know some portion, if not the breadth and height and depth and length, we can at least experience a taste of the love that you have for us in Christ. And we pray that by your love and by your power, the power of your Spirit working in us, you would make us generous. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.